to Putting Up Numbers, the podcast about uniform numbers. Here we break down the stories behind the numbers, talk to the all-time greats that made the number iconic, and give you the last word in greatness, our Uniform Number Hall of Fame. You can also hit us up at puttingupnumbers.com and give us your picks. I'm Tom Davis here in Los Angeles, and joining me from Big D, the Master of Disaster, the King of Sting, the Count of Monte Fisto, Rudy Klanick. Rudy, we have an extra special episode today. What's going on today? Well, we've invited a longtime friend, colleague, and a the master of the sports card industry, Tracy Hackler, to yeah. join us. So we're going to learn a lot about what's going on in a collectible world, how jersey numbers impact the value of a collectible, especially a uh, basketball, football, baseball card, hockey card. I and mean, Tracy's filled with knowledge, man. So this will be fun. Yeah, for sure. And I love this because this is the first podcast where I just kind of get to take my hands off the lap bar and just go, wee, and you get to do all the heavy lifting. So I'm loving that. But as a guy who had baseball cards and football cards and basketball cards growing up, and also as a uniform number nerd, I always hated it when it was only like a headshot of the guy. If they showed me the guy's jersey number, that was awesome because that's how I learned about jersey numbers. And if they showed me the guy's jersey number in action, that was just the absolute most. Even if it wasn't somebody who was any good, I can still remember Bob Didier or maybe Didier, (laughs) as it were, who was a catcher. And there was a card of him. There was a play at the plate. And it was like, to me, that card was more valuable than a Mickey Mantle rookie card or something else like that, because he was in action and it was super, super cool. Yeah. Cards like that were rare when we were collecting. Now they're, they're commonplace. The photos, the technology, What's going on in the industry is uh, is so beyond the airbrushed helmets that we collected <laughs> when we were kids in the 70s. But it's cool. And it's still it's very nostalgic in a lot of ways. And Tracy's a great guest and a great dude. So uh, let's get after it. Let's do it. So here's Rudy, myself and Panini America's Tracy Hackler. Tracy Hackler has spent his entire career writing and talking about sports trading cards Those are the two and a half by three and a half pieces of cardboard gold that many of us collected as kids. So yes, Tracy Hackler has a better job than you do. For more than a decade now, Tracy's been running point for all communications and marketing for Panini America, the collectibles behemoth that's based here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Panini produces official trading cards for the NFL, NBA, college football and NASCAR, as well as baseball and World Cup soccer cards. Over the past couple years, and especially the past strange few months we've all experienced, Panini and the entire sports collectibles category has enjoyed a revival. Sports cards are super cool again, and innovators like Tracy continue to push the envelope to make guys like us want to dig into our savings accounts and buy the next ultra-limited edition titanium-infused autographed jersey card of Zion Williamson. So let's talk some rookie cards, some jersey cards. And let's talk about how Tom and I can get some free product by the end of the show. Tracy Hackler, welcome to Putting Up Numbers. Hey, thank you. That intro, I can retire now. I don't need to work anymore. I'm going to hang that in the hallway. And uh, thank you for that great introduction. That was awesome. Happy to be on with you guys. Love your show, your podcast. And I'm just honored to be on with you guys. That was terrific. That was a great introduction. You know, Tracy, that is my that's my rookie debut for doing the introduction. And I felt like I did it really well. Probably better than the guy on the other line here, but that's okay, man. 
We'll give it back to him next week when we talk to Billy White Shoes Johnson. But I, I, I just want to commend myself, yes. You're already Rookie of the Year in my book. Bro. Nice, nice. My rookie card is uh, is uh, all up. up arrows. It's going all, up, yeah. All up arrows. <laughs> well, let's jump in, man. Like I mentioned in the brilliant opening, the times we're in with COVID has seen an interesting rise, explosion really, in trading cards and the industry is really soaring. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of what was going on before COVID hit. I know it was on the uptick, but it seems to really have hit that stride these last few months. It's been a pretty surreal six months, really. I mean, as you know, rookie cards always make for great seasons. If the better the crop, the deeper the crop, the more successful that year's cards have been. So you had a few great rookie classes in a row. Zion and John, those guys coming in were going to be maybe the best class ever. And they probably have been, I guess, in terms of just rookie card value. Then the pandemic hit and there was panic. When we used to work at Beckett together, Rudy, people would talk about 91 and the Anaheim National and how those were the golden days. Well, the new golden days are right now. And it's it really, I'm not really ever at a loss for words, but it defies explanation really, because mm-hmm. you think about what's going on in the world around us. And I think it speaks to the relief and the enjoyment and the nostalgia people get from trading cards. It takes their mind. It's always been a diversionary way to think about simpler times or funner times or better times. And so I think that's been part of it too. So rookies, the technology of the cards is off the charts, autographs, memorabilia, people needing a diversion. I think all those things have just converged and created kind of a monster of a marketplace. That's awesome. I'm assuming that the Anaheim 91 is kind of the Catalina wine mixer uh, for <laughs> card people. Uh, yeah. I'm, ju- I'm just guessing being the outsider in I this conversation. Is that to, about right? To describe it, the, the national is like the Mecca, the annual Mecca of sports card collectors. You really can tell about the, the success or or lack of success of any given year by how the national is how many people are there what their attitude is we didn't have a national this year obviously because of the uh, the pandemic it was kind of a bummer but to rudy's point early i mean it, it just didn't matter there are promotions that we couldn't do this year there are rookie photo shoots that we couldn't participate in and it for whatever reason it just doesn't matter yeah, and nobody's saying the blind tenor song, which is uh, disappointing <laughs> as well. Tracy Rudy had mentioned at the top some of the innovations and things that, you know, obviously weren't around when we were kids, things like jersey swatch cards and so forth. Talk about how popular those types of cards has become and and maybe what do you think the next step might be? From late nineties to about twenty ten, I mean, that's what really drove the market was the special cards, the memorabilia cards and the player autograph cards. That's how you spoke of products. So it wasn't just, Hey, this product has full bleed photography and foil stamping. It was how many autographs and how many memorabilia cards are you going to get in the box? That's how people purchased it. So it's really, we, we blew through the, the concept, the gimmick of it as an industry really quickly. We have a habit of doing that in our industry of just raising the bar a lot of times on ourselves, even when we don't have to. But the, the advancements that we've seen with NFL shields, NBA logo men from uh, jerseys, NBA finals patches that are in booklets, pieces of numbers. But in terms of memorabilia, I mean, you name it, cleats, bats, pants, uh, headbands, socks, wristbands. We've cut it all up and we put it in cards. But jerseys are what people want. And if you get a piece of the number... One of my favorite types of jersey cards that I ever see is 
a piece of Jersey card that has a piece of number that has like a grass stain on it or something, because that's, you know, you're like touching the game almost and you're touching the player too, which is kind of weird, I guess, depending on your perspective. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's next, Tom. It's a great question, but I think we'll just continue pushing the envelope. Yeah, Tracy, I've been lucky enough to be able to tour your facility and along with a lot of jerseys, it looks like a laundromat in there um, or dry cleaner. I also noticed you had like stacks of NASCAR tires, Yeah, right? You know, you've got some crazy stuff at Panini that you guys are cutting up. Tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes of that process. Obviously, the, the more uh, peculiar the item, the usually the more expensive it is to, to produce. So for things like tires and for things like hockey sticks or bats, those are usually done by specialized like independent vendors. Those are the things that you don't think about when you're in the hobby shop and you pull that tire card. Obviously, you smell it because it smells like burnt rubber. Yeah. But one of the most interesting aspects of memorabilia cards is every memorabilia card ever made is made by hand. All of them. It's one of the coolest aspects of the job to watch it happen. Do you die a little bit inside when you're holding a Peyton Manning number 18 pristine jersey with grass stains on it and you know that you're going to cut it up in a million pieces? Uh, that's a fair question. I've, I really don't die inside with him because you know he wore so many of them and as the industry grew and the players are more modern, Emmett Smith as an example, when he broke the rushing record, I think he changed jerseys like every series because he knew the value of his memorabilia, maybe more than any player that's ever been a Hall of Famer. I mean, he knew. So I think there's more jerseys now. The company I used to work for, Donruss, which it kind of eventually became Panini, they cut up a 1927 Babe Ruth jersey, one of three known pinstripe jerseys known to exist at that point. And I think they paid like 264000 at the time, which probably about a $1.5 million jersey now, but they cut it up, just shredded it. And that was kind of a weird sensation. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, babe. Yeah, you know, his ghost is out there haunting a bunch of different stuff. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, he wasn't changing jerseys every inning. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a funny story about that, if I could digress just briefly, but we are talking jersey numbers. And we had a big press event to announce that, that we bought this jersey and we're going to cut it up. But before we cut it up, we're going to take it to the national. We talked about earlier, we're going to take it to some events and let people see it. Well, we, we got the babe's daughter to kind of jump on board with us. And we had a big press event at ESPN zone back then times square. There's all these kind of New York sports people at the event, a few members of the Sopranos cast. We actually made the first Babe Ruth Jersey card from that jersey there at the event. We cut it out with scissors and, oh. and put it together. It's ridiculous. That's terrible. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> terrible. definitely going to be haunted by the babe if you're not already <laughs> concerned about it now, Tracy. Really, I am. Yeah, I am a little bit. Yeah. How do actual numbers on the jerseys matter in the collecting world? How do they matter? How do they interact? Well, it's a great question. When you first approached me about coming on the show, first of all, I was very excited. And then two kind of immediate thoughts came to mind about how jersey numbers and trading cards, how that all kind of worked into the podcast. So one we've kind of already talked about, if you get a piece of a jersey number on a piece of memorabilia on a card, that's cool, right? It's not the whole jersey number, but it's a piece of John Elway 7. But another thing that's probably more time-tested is... Sequential numbering of trading cards to kind of notate scarcity is big in the industry. Card numbered out of 100 or 50. There's only 50 in existence. 
If I have a John Elway's example, John Elway card number seven of 50, I would pay a premium for on the secondary market because that's his jersey number. And so you see that throughout all sports, all superstars. The key sequential numbers of a card in terms of value are the one of 100, 100 of 100 will draw, but nothing draws more than the jersey number out of X. So any John Elway, seven of seven, I'm paying a premium for. Seven of 100, I'm paying a premium for. That's the thing that, that occurred to me first, Rudy, when you brought up the podcast. So Tracy, one of the things I just noticed is that a Sidney Crosby rookie card, so Sidney Crosby just retired, his rookie card is on sale on eBay for $119,000. What drives the value of something like a Sidney Crosby rookie card or really any card to get to that level that is the same value as, say, a four-year education at a small liberal arts institution somewhere in the Northeast. (laughs) Those types of numbers are relatively a new sensation because back in the day, the only cards that really generated that kind of money were really only one, the Hannes Wagner T206, right? That's the one everybody talked about. But this crazy metamorphosis or this transformation of being a collectibles hobby to being almost like an investment hobby for a lot of people. I mean, just recently, a Giannis Antetokounmpo rookie card that we made sold for $1.8 or something like that, which just boggles the mind. And so I think it is people looking to kind of have a keepsake. And the way the industry's grown now, a lot of the new people coming in, it's not just older people who knew trading cards back in the day and now they have some income and now they want to buy it, get back into it. A lot of this newness is straight up investors who are looking to make money on, on the hobby. And the marketplace right now is just absurd. I think the thing driving it is more buyers and then the overall scarcity of the card. A lot of rookie cards from mid to late 90s to now, the top rookie cards in each sport are typically limited to about 99 copies. They're autographed by the player and they have nice piece of memorabilia on it. So that kind of combination will always make those really high in cards in demand. Something like Michael Jordan, he wore number 12 for one game and ended up on a card wearing the number 12. If somebody has something like that, or they go to a different team where maybe they change numbers or things like that, does that change the value of the cards or the, or the way that the hobby sort of responds to a change in scenery or a change in uniform number for someone? That is a great question. And I'm glad you asked that. So Tom Brady, right? Rudy loves Tom. A lot of people love Tom. We all who doesn't love Tom? Tom? A guy who sold a soul to the devil exactly. to win Super Bowls. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he's a 20, is this his 20th season, 21st season, whatever. We had a product come out two or three months ago called Luminance Football. And it's just kind of a early season, kind of entry level product. But it was our first product to have Tom Brady pictured in a Buccaneers uniform. And these regular cards of Tom Brady, 21st year common cards were going for 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks because it was his first Buccaneers card. So if it's the right player, I mean, it absolutely impacts value, but there is a sentimental value for a lot of people, but certainly in the case of the right player, a monetary value added to those new jerseys or new uniform numbers. It's fascinating what's going on right now. It's amazing. It's a little scary, like you mentioned about the pricing. <laughs> I can't believe some of the numbers I'm seeing. And it seems like, like you said, every week, it's another record being broken. From a Panini standpoint, you're big in a lot of things 
things, but the NBA and what the NBA has been for the last few years, this personality driven, social conscious, great rookie class. Talk to us a little bit about what the NBA's kind of explosion in popularity, I feel, over the last few years has meant to Panini. The NBA has always been really forward thinking when it comes to being internationally known and embraced, getting their product and their athletes to be adored on a global level. And that certainly has worked wonders for the trading card industry because a lot of our a lot of the market growth can be attributed to crazy sales and volumes over in China and Australia, Japan as well. I mean, it's it's just that that part of it, I think, might get overlooked when you're talking about big prices for cards and Zion mania and things like that. But that's been a really big part of the growth that we've had. And, you know, I think a lot of people expected huge things, obviously, from the Zion rookie class. And we thought before the season, I think a lot of us internally were thinking, we're, we're kind of uh, nervous about the expectations. Like, we're never going to be able to live up. He's never going to be able to live up. And I'll be darned if him and Ja and RJ and Rui and so many others kind of exceeded the, the expectations. And it was, again, it all goes back to that convergence, that perfect storm of international growth, new domestic growth, exciting rookies and then the, the technology and the ability that we have now to kind of make cards that are sometimes more like works of art than yep. certainly something you, you'd ever put in your bicycle spokes. Um, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's all kind of work together. And I think the players associations are doing a much better job of educating these guys coming in on the business side of whatever sport they're in, because they, do understand now back in the day if you brought in a guy that he had to sign six thousand autographs at the rookie photo shoot he just was pissed and he hated it and he, he would do anything he could to but sign and now a lot of the players understand that every time they sign their name that's more money that we're paying them and the le- the, the players associations have done a really great job of educating them on that aspect of who they are well, by the way, Tracy actually debuted on our podcast about the number 16 because it was Tracy who was with me when we observed the Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning divergence. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Tracy was at the crossroads of greatness and not greatness. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. That was fun to see. Yeah, because up to that point, I think people were still a little bit torn on who made the right choice, right? Right. And if I'm not mistaken, he was putting them down. He was downing them like two at a time with Kerry Collins, who's a great role model for for NFL Hall of Fame status. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when we both kind of instantly knew that, well, I think Peyton's going to be the guy. Peyton was dorking out with John Elway and Jim Kelly and Dan Marino. <laughs> Soaking everything in. Yeah. Oh, man, that was fun. I did not buy a Ryan Leaf uh, rookie card. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, scarcity, there weren't that many after that. So yes. I don't know. There weren't money no, cards after that. No, you're, done, right. you're right. You're right. Done, but he was you're right. Done. Is he a little bit like Manziel? Uh, not I don't know. I feel like Manziel wasn't, he wasn't drafted that high, you know, Manziel was like a train wreck for sure. But being drafted number two and the franchise just kind of leaning on you. I don't know. man. And the Browns have had no success drafting a quarterback, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe now. (laughs) Before we go, I I know you are a, uh, 
multimedia star there for Panini. Where can our audience find your fine work on a podcast or social and all that jazz? At Panini America on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook. We have a blog, but just go to PaniniAmerica.net and uh, it's all there. Right on, man. Well, thanks a thanks, ton for coming on, shedding some light on the collectible world and oh, it's, it's all pleasure. good man i'm gonna come by to look at some nascar tires and some cut up babe ruth jerseys when you guys buy the next two the last two <laughs> remaining just to, just to destroy them <laughs> well you're welcome anytime rudy i'll have some boxes to give you guys too i want right to see on. you awesome looks like we achieved the free stuff by the end of the podcast rudy nicely done check mark awesome <laughs> thanks, thanks Tracy. Thank y'all. See ya. And that'll do it for this extra special edition of Putting Up Numbers. Our thanks again to sports memorabilia guru, Tracy Hackler. Don't forget, you can check him out on PaniniAmerica.net. As always, as you go to the polls this week, remember to listen, rate, and subscribe to this here podcast. We thank everyone who has done so to date, and we hope that you'll get even more people to do so in the future. We'll be back soon with another edition. Until then, I'm Tom Davis. And I'm Rudy Klanick. And we'll see you next time on Putting Up Numbers.